Welcome to this 21st Free Speak podcast in which we discuss all things media. I'm your host, Gwen Lister. Our topic today is how the media covers the scourge of gender-based violence, or GBV as it's known, in Namibia. And it's one of the most urgent problems we face as a country. I actually saw it referenced recently as a shadow pandemic, but I'm thinking it's the real pandemic. For COVID, there's at least a chance of a vaccine at some point in the future, if only this were possible for GBV offenders. We're experiencing a spiraling rate of violence against women and children in Namibia, and rapes alone in the four of our 14 regions is approaching 1,000 only since the start of this year. And that's just those that are reported. Many aren't. So recently, many women took to the streets in what were called hashtag shut it all down protests. Adding insult to injury, some of these young women were also targeted by police in that same demonstration. So today we want to look at whether media coverage is effective when it comes to GBV. Is it sensitive enough? Does it comply with ethical codes of conduct? And does it protect the rights of dignity, privacy, safety, among others? And can the media do more? To examine these and other issues, with me today are two powerful young women who were themselves involved in the protest. Activist, youth leader, speaker and student, Bertha Tobias, and journalist Ndapwashali Shapwanale, who was also detained by police while covering the protest. So welcome to you both, and thanks so much for sharing your time with us today. Thanks. So first off, let me start with Ndapo Shale. The journalist code of conduct is really quite specific around issues of media reporting and GBV and the need to prioritize first and foremost the safety of GBV survivors. Also, their best interest, sensitivity around these issues. We can't name children, for example, who've been abused or raped. Do you think there's compliance, generally speaking, in the Namibian media around these things, or can we do more? I think if there's more that we can do is educating ourselves. Educating ourselves on what terminology to use, educating ourselves on a sense being more sensitive, but basically looking at modern day. Because you look at in the past what was considered rape what was considered a sexual assault, what was considered a abuse. Uh-huh. Um, in the past, you won't really, maybe um, uh, verbal abuse, emotional abuse would not be considered SGBV or GBV as such. Uh, but then now we need to look at uh, things like, is this the reason why it leads to, um, to a physical abuse in the end and then even to death? In the end, so we can always educate ourselves more. And I mean, we're guided by we have the combating of the immoral practices act, and uh, we're, uh, we're guided by that. And there, we already know that we get what is it that we need to do. We can't mention a name of a minor, you can't mention a name of a, a, a victim. You can't mention a name of a survivor. Right. What is it that the law says about it? Because any act, any uh, re- regulation, any law needs to be uh, in line with the constitution. So if if the Com- combating of immoral practices act is a is an act of parliament, it needs to be in line with the constitution. And the constitution, what does it say? It says that a, a dignity of a person, human rights of a person, needs to be protected. So we, as the journalists, can always look back. What are the changing times and constantly educate 
educate ourselves. We cannot just rely on what has been on paper, um, on paper all these years, and then say that no, I'm doing it by the book. But if there has been a, an evolution, we must also evolve our minds. Then I know that on a number of occasions, people came out to say that no, but um, the media need to stop saying that the person had an um, unconsented uh, or, or did not the person had in sexual intercourse with this person without their consent. Uh, but there is something that that the readers also need to understand is that rape is it, the rape itself, the crime is this there's a description in the in, in the criminal procedure act, for example, by law there's a, there's a there's a legal description of what the rape is. and it is not the place of a journalist to say that Peter raped Anna. If this person was convicted, if the the perpetrator was convicted by a court of law that yes your action towards Anna is in actual effect rape then only you can really tell the journalist to say that no call it rape you can't call it that it's um a say you had sexual intercourse with this person without the Against, consent yeah, yeah. yes because the journalists on their side also we also have to make sure that we uh, we keep safe because it, unless it's like you're saying that someone uh, killed someone you I can't go right as a journalist uh, Peter murdered Anna. I can't write that because the court of the law alleged. is the one that has to say that. Right. No, it is in fact murder, it's culpable homicide, it's manslaughter, it's what. So that's the part that uh, I think the readers also need to understand that the journalists, when they use these words and maybe not come out and say that who who raped who, is because they also need to keep themselves uh, uh, on the uh, right side of the law exactly. in terms of waiting for the court to uh, pronounce themselves. Right, so be sensitive at the same time as we call something a spade, yes. call a spade a spade. Bertha, let me turn to you on that. You know, I've seen it referred to in Namibia, this GBV pandemic, as mass rape. And, you know, I don't think that's far off, off the truth because, I mean, the statistics are just incredible. Um, and it impacts, let's not forget, not only women, but also most critically children as well. It's just really bad. So, in your opinion, how do we do justice to the seriousness of this problem in Namibia? while at the same time having to be, as Ndapwashali's just said now, be sensitive to the rights of victims. So, you know, at some point, as especially in media or as a journalist, you may find yourself being caught in the middle where you really want to show your readers um, and inform people how bad it is. At the same time, you have to be very sensitive about the rights on all sides. What do you think... Um, from this perspective, can can we do more? Yeah. M maybe I could quickly just tell you, somebody this morning just said to me, you know, over the weekend, Blommy will know, we have what is called the um, police report, where they will give us reports on what happened over the weekend. And this person said to me, sometimes it's like reading the weather report, <laughs> because you just say a child of three was raped in Ombalantu, um, but it doesn't give the systemic reasons for why and how these things are happening. So what are your thoughts around around this, Bertha? Right. So I think the first thing, one, um, and I think this is something that we're we are all, it's, it's exactly what you're speaking to, right? So when we say, for example, a child of three was raped in Ombalantu, there's, there's an aspect of, of clinicality and insensitivity that exists in a statement like that. Um, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an insensitivity that is almost, um, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a collective attempt to distance ourselves from how difficult it might be to stomach and or digest yeah. were we to 
to communicate everything in their fullness and in their yeah. in their true accurate magnitude because i don't think we can genuinely claim to be okay i think it would have an impact on our psyche if we had to digest each and every single kind of case of sexual and gender based yeah. violence but speaking to mass rape i think i think that's a it's a it's an accurate term to use. Um, and I think we'd have to look at the impact of mass anything, really. So I think when SGBV and femicide continues to persist in Namibia, it does something for us collectively. It seeps into, into the fabric of how we exist as a society. It, it, it creates fractures. Um, it creates perceptions. Uh, of, of, of men, for example, or, um, you know, of SGBV perpetrators. Uh, but it, it definitely has manifestations that we are only going to see later. Because what we have, for example, now is a monster on our hands that has gotten out of control. Uh, we don't know how to fix it. So now we are all in a collective frenzy where we're running around trying to point, pinpoint exactly where it came from. And the same way that we can't pinpoint that is how right now, what, what is happening now is definitely going to manifest when we grow up and we have our own children um, in the way we perceive each other, um, but I also think that the, 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 why I think the term mass rape, for example, is accurate is because it speaks to how violent Namibia really is. Um, and, you know, there's something that is, is, is constant. We constantly talk about this as a post-conflict society. We are we there's a characteristic of violence. Um, and when you couple violence with harmful and problematic perceptions of women, you have what we have on our hands now. So I think that's really what's happening. Um, but I think how, how that can be dealt with is what we've done with hashtag shut it all down. And it's what civil society organizations and journalists are doing, which is using their platforms to contribute to those conversations and to hold government and to hold other institutions accountable. And I think this is where we'd, we'd have to look at, for example, what, what South Africa has done. So I think it, they've done two things very well. So one, it is it is communicating that they've elevated the crisis of SGB and femicide to top leadership level, where their president has said, we're going to do something about this and this is what we're doing. So to the more technical, pragmatic bits, like you know, extending sexual offenses to just sexual intimidation and extending the responsibility of anybody who witnesses a sexual crime committed against the child, where it becomes, it is illegal to watch a child undergo a sexual crime and, and not report it. Yeah. So I think all of that, those are policy kind of administrative um, manifestations of how seriously South Africa has started to take their SGBV crisis. And I think until we get to that stage where we understand that we have a national crisis, um, until we get to a stage where we don't radicalize the conversation, I think we'll continue to go around in circles, have formal engagements, and this is something we're going to touch on later when we talk about the consultation, right? right. Um, so if we don't radicalize it, we, we are going to go around in circles and our children will be having this conversation. I think some very good points there, uh, Bertha. Also, Dabwa Shali, the, uh, I often think, you know, we, we go to... And I think generally speaking, as you've indicated, the media is fairly sensitive about protecting rape victims or victims of abuse, whether they be women or children. But at the same time, it often bothers me that in the process of protecting them, we are often protecting the very perpetrators. Because often you will find that these are familial crimes uh, that are happening. And, and as these happen, you cannot mention the name of the uncle or the father or the brother who abused a child or a woman, seen in the light of what the Shut It All Down protesters demanded, which is a, a sex offenders register. How do you think, would something like that actually go a long way towards naming and shaming? Do you think mm. that that will help us in any way deal with this curse? Yeah. Uh, 
when there was a time, I, I think on social media, uh, most predominantly on Twitter, where there was a whole, uh, I think it was the it was the Me Too movement basically, where people actually, where girls came out and women came out and said that, listen, I was raped by who-who. Listen, A, B, C, D raped me. I was uh, a, I was harassed, sexually harassed by this person and I was sexually harassed by this person. And people came out and people spoke. And that was, it was beautiful to see because not only you, some people spoke about incidents that happened four or five years ago and to carry that burden all those years that is an injustice to people themselves in a country that uh, prides itself in one of the best justice systems um it speaks to why is it that this person is walking around with this on their shoulders why can they not trust the pro uh, the, the 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 why can they not trust the the process in, in making sure that whoever did this wrong to them can be brought to book. Uh, just soon after that, Gwen, then came out apologies where some of the w the women, the ladies, the girls who said that I was raped by Huhu, no, I was sexually abused by Huhu, um, came out and apologized. Um, it, it, we hear of people went to lawyers and they said that no, this was actually not an incident. We came, the, the, some of the incidences came out where people actually said that no, but we were together that night and this is actually what happened. The person yeah. is lying, yeah. and that is so problematic because I was very angry when that happened, Gwen, because the fact that and it's it, it's uh, again for us it, it's impossible to say that something like that where people come out and say this happened to me, that you won't have the one or two people who would want to take advantage of that and then just, you know, have a negative energy towards it, take advantage and actually come out and lie. It happens everywhere, even in even in religion it happens where you have pastors who are really preaching the word of God. The Bible says that many will come, uh, false prophets will come in my name. So you have those people who came with that. The problem with these people, and I think it's a most, it's a selfish act, to want to take advantage of something like that is that they are taking away from the, in this case, the Me Too movement, where someone really, this was the one opportunity to really speak out and have some sort of justice for the injustice that happened to them. Now, when it comes to the call for a, a sex offenders register, I, I advocate for name and shaming. I definitely advocate for it in any and everything. And especially when it comes to something like this, because I, it, I think that it is one approach that where men will, before they even, before they'll think twice or three times or four times before, yeah. before uh, I think that the, the whole uh, sex offenders register is a name and shame. And that would, even if it's just five or six people, men, will think twice that I, I don't want my name to appear there. So then let me rather not even push things or whatever. Uh, Gwen, there is just, and I think this is a very fair concern, is that who else will be the one, two, three, four, five people who will take advantage of this and then who will come out and actually lie about what happened to them and then cast this entire doubt on the whole register. That is my main concern. I think that in a perfect world, in a perfect world, I would really love for a, a, a sex offenders register to exist. How do we safeguard that it the, the doubt is not cast? Because the danger in is that because you're doubting these two people, everybody else, and then you find someone who's been sitting with this, who was probably a rape uh, victim for since... Because we found out the other day that people are sitting around having been raped multiple times by family members, by friends, right. by strangers. But they could never come out. 
Exactly. And now and they so have this. So there has been a conviction, yes. and yes. obviously the register would need to the be convicted. It must um, be convictions. Offenders. It must yeah. be convicted yeah. offenders. Then again, you have now the whole. How long does a convic- How long does it take for a conviction when it yeah. comes to sexual offence? Yeah. And I think in Namibia we know that it takes forever. It takes forever. So it's it's a brilliant idea, and I think in a perfect world, it if it could work perfect by the book like it would work theory wise yeah. it would be a positive but then there are so many things around the sex offenders register that first need to be taken care of that first need to be dealt with in order for this not to one day 20 years later be a thing of no we have to shut the sex offenders register yeah. down because who who wanted had a personal vendetta against someone and then they just decided around this and then also that uh, it, someone it took 20 it took 5 10 years for this person to get offend, uh, to to for of uh, an offender to be convicted um i remember also um when it, when there was also again something else happening on twitter and one of the the ladies said that she was raped by a police officer it's 7 years later the case is thrown out. It didn't go anywhere. So we need... That's something... It's not just the register is there, enter the names. Absolutely. We need... The, there's a lot of work around it. Society, legislature, yeah. um, the justice system that needs to first be taken care of in all, before we can even start thinking really. about... Yeah. An, if yes, again, a sex offenders register can exist. But an effective sex offenders register, one that what is the purpose of this register? Exactly. For what, it to carry that out. What do we want? And and that's maybe let me yeah. refer that to Bertha. Uh, you know, it sounds good, doesn't it? To put those names out yeah. there, name and shame them as sexual offenders res- uh, register, pedophiles, whatever. Um, it sounds nice to do it. But what do we actually want to achieve with that? Do we want them to be ostracized from society? Yeah. Do we want them not to have jobs? for their potential future partners or whatever to be aware. And will this register really help us address what is a systemic root cause thing happening in society? Will it will it help us to tackle this moral degradation, if you like, that we're undergoing as a society at the moment? Right. Bertha, your thoughts on yeah. that? Right. <laughs> so so two things, right? Um, that I think are also very important to add on to when we're talking about because I, 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 I completely agree with Ndapa Shali that there's so much work that needs to go into yeah. it. On top of everything that she's mentioned, there's also the the possible and or potential retraining of an entire division of the police to make sure that it doesn't get into the wrong hands. Yeah. Um, there's also the conversation of who is it going to be accessible to and how do we make sure that that information is not leaked out because, you know, you can't it's probably not not the best or the wisest to make it uh, accessible to the public because that leads to other things like mob justice, like people Absolutely. taking you know the law into their own hands. Um, and I think that's where the media comes in actually, where it, it it's very I think the media has a consequential role in shaping how a society views perpetrators right. of sexual and gender based violence. Yeah. So the more we we we, you, we kind of report on them as monsters or as people who deserve to be ostracized, the, the, the deeper the divide that is going to be created and as such, the, the greater the potential for society to take kind of that justice into their own hands. Absolutely. So that's one Good thing. Good point. Yeah. yeah, and then just last thing as well. I think the main kind of, of function, or at least what was in the official petition, is that 
we would like that to be accessible to bodies that are dealing with primarily women and children. So we don't have cases, for example, of, you know, people who are sex offenders who are going to work in special schools and, and taking advantage of, of learners who can't speak, for example. But I think it's, it's what you're saying, Shali, which is it can exist in a perfect society. But I guess given the, the capacity challenges that we're already facing with just regular training of law enforcement, regular implementation of, of, of information dissemination, we have a long way to go. Mm. Yeah. Some good points there as well. Uh, Ali, maybe let's talk to about the power of the image, yeah. um, especially when it comes to um, survivors, let's use that word rather than victims, victims yeah. of rape and abuse. Um, you know, if I think about the, the Shut It All Down protest, there were some incredibly powerful images there yeah. depicting women as empowered and in control, and it was wonderful to see. On the other hand, you know, obviously the media makes use of images that show beaten and bloodied women um, who are subject to that abuse. What, what are your thoughts around this image? Obviously, we don't want to feed into the perception that women are victims. Yeah. At the same time, you want to show things the way they really are and show people the horror yeah. of rape and domestic abuse or whatever. What are your thoughts? Has the, can we strike a, a, a happy medium yeah. or a balance around that in the media? Definitely, Gwen. I think the uh, the picture around uh, the picture around uh, uh, sexual gender based sex, sexual gender based violence, rape, has always been the woman is the victim. And again, I think that's also why the the wording has also changed now to right. survivor. And that the minute you think about a, um, a rape victim, you think about this woman is powerless. This woman is a, and I think that's also one of the problematic things, even with the pictures also. Even if, if it's a picture that, if you see the pictures that are used by the media, uh, just recently now the Namibian posted a picture on, on Twitter saying, I think it was from the, from the police report, where they reported on a, a rape. It was a, it was basically a woman sitting down, her arm being or the man's arm being uh, grabbed. And you know, it's always the woman is in a, a position of not having power. And that has also been very problematic in the fact that it has painted this image that you, if if when you if you're a, a victim of of, of rape or a, a, a SGBV, it's because you are you are either weak or you are vulnerable. Women, are, of course, someone is taking advantage of your physical, like you're physically not as strong as they are, or what. But then, that also has 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 then ripple effects on: Am I going to go and report? If I if I'm in a relationship with my uh, uh, boyfriend, I'm 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 well off. I'm educated. I'm what again a demographic that we don't speak to, or that uh, um, the imaging of sexual uh, of SGBV and GBV and rape does not speak to is that demographic of I drive I drive a my dream car. I have my dream occupation and everything. So. The imaging is very important. The same way we will not forget that, yes, women are taken advantage of, and this is a bad thing that happens to them. The imaging of I am a survivor or um, this powerful imaging is also very much necessary so that the woman can be motivated to say that, listen, it doesn't mean because you fell victim to or you this happened to you. This man did this to you or this person did this to you, that you are weak, that you are, again, that victim mentality. So you can go report it. It has a ripple effect on that. So I think there needs to be a balance. We need to strike a balance between uh, putting out there to say that yes, when women fall victim to this, 
this is what happens when they are beaten, they are killed, um, men take advantage of the fact that they are maybe physically smaller, but we also have to push that image to say that the fact that you can, it doesn't take away from the strength or the powerful woman that you are if this happens to you. So for, you need to go out and you need to report it and you speak against it, you need to highlight it. And the minute we are able to use that image to say that, the strong image to say that I'm speaking against this, uh, the strong image to say that you are not, even if you did, even if I was, uh, I'm, I'm a survivor, it was not my fault and doesn't make me a weakling. I am, the fact that I, the fact that I can actually uh, uh, go and report this or speak against this, be a, be a survivor and still speak against this, speaks power. And that is why it's so important to strike a balance between the two. There's the, the, the other image has traditionally, it exists. But I think we've evolved now to say that, okay, since this image of power has not existed, the power that lies in that you can speak out, you can report, and you can seek justice against the injustice that happened against you, that image is very important. And as the media, I think we need to be intentional about painting that picture. We need to be, in, or not painting the picture, but using that image if that image is available. We need to be intentional about not only going to, to, to find the story, because when you do the, these stories, you want to speak to the victim, and you want to ask the victim, what is it that went through you? What is the pain? Describe the pain for me. But we also need to, to, to seek the image that says that you have survived this, Overcome. So what is the you've yeah. overcome this? Yeah. What is the power in yeah. this? Because that image needs to be it needs to be put out there to encourage, and I think that is what's also going to help with actually dealing with this, with having people actually come out and say this has happened to and me, other women, and yes. other women to say so. that yes, I can be in this demographic of people, and it's not that I'm weak or less or not as uh, 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 successful or powerful as I think I am. Right. That this has happened to me. And not be shamed. And not be shamed. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Happened. I am exactly. not weak. I'm not uh, this little. I'm still the powerful woman who walks into a boardroom and still commands uh, uh, it, 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 leadership, or whatever. And this can still happen to me. I'm not that rape and what is not just for that person. Right. And then it's it, not how I want to be identified. Yes. So that is yeah. that will in, in uh, that will assist in actually dealing with it not from a root already. Okay. Because in order for you well, to that's maybe that's what I want to get to yeah. uh, Dr. is exactly that route. And I mean, Bertha's already just referred to um, the issue about colonialism mm -hmm. and the very deep divisions that it has caused in Namibia, among others, things like contract labor, mm -hmm. uh, separating families and fathers being away from mothers and starting second families. So it's very complex. Um, the causes of, or what we think are the causes of this, of this systemic violence. Um, also, of course, cultural practices, Bertha, that's what I wanted to ask you. To what extent do you think these, because often we talk about culture with a great deal of pride, mm -hmm. but there are often aspects of all the various cultures which are actually don't belong mm -hmm. um, in, in, in the modern day with, with human rights and so on. What do you think, to what extent does this impact on, on what is happening in Namibia today, and do we need to look deeper? Right, definitely. At the heart of the problem, in other words. Yeah. Definitely, I think so. And I think um, what makes the conversation about culture so tricky is that people um, obviously attach a great deal of sanctity and honor and, you know, ancestral kind of, of thinking to it. Right. Um, which means that anytime you suggest that something needs to be reviewed or a particular cultural practice needs to be reevaluated, people take it as a, a direct attack on their cultural, community, collective existence. 
um, or whatever term we want to use. But I believe, and this is a conversation I was having with a friend the other day uh, where they said, you know, we can't just abandon our cultural practices. Um, I think if, if a particular cultural practice is rooted in dehumanizing women, for example, Absolutely. then that is an aspect of culture that you need to revisit. Sure. Um, sorry. Yeah. And, and then it becomes yeah. important to clarify that when we say no, abolish Olufuko, we are not saying yes. abolish Oshiwambo culture. No, We're exactly. saying that particular practice is incorrect where you are grooming 12-year-old girls for marriage and you are, you are teaching them that men can just come and choose and, and that's, you know, that they're functional reproductive units. That's not okay. And that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm effectively disregarding the, the cultural practices of an entire Oshiwambo community, for example, but it means that we are recognizing that culture in itself is a, is a, is a, is a recognition of, of a community's capacity for social transformation and to move forward and to evolve in ways that are self-fulfilling and self-actualizing for all the individuals in that particular community. That's what makes culture culture in the first place. Absolutely. Is the ability to evolve. So as that, and that's the point of access to information. So now if we have access to information and we're able to recognize and come together and say that's incorrect, uh, female genital mutilation is dehumanizing. Absolutely. Um, you know, wife beating or beating out of out of love, you know, if he doesn't beat yeah. me, doesn't love me, Passion isn't correct. Exactly, wrong. you know. Exactly. Yeah. Testing, testing someone for, for sexual readiness is incorrect. Widow inheritance is incorrect. These are all parts that are deeply dehumanizing and they're rooted in, in degrading women and those are the aspects that we need to shut down. And I, I, I constantly say that for me, so I'm, I'm 20 years old. So when I think about my, my family and building a house one day, if and when I do decide to, those are parts of culture that I'm disregarding Absolutely. and I don't feel guilty about doing that. Um, and in fact, it makes me think about how so many of these parts of these aspects of quote unquote culture manifest even, you know, to the demographics that we, we don't think they would kind of manifest to. They, they deeply deeply influence the dynamics of a household whether you're living in a in a pretty mansion in, in Ludwigsdorf or in or, the village, or in the village. Exactly. there's there's manifestations mm. of that constantly mm. and i always say for example with, with the hashtag shut it all down protests that's where my family sexism for example started showing where aunts would call and they'd say tell her why she's shouting at government officials on television right. exactly. she's a girl exactly. who's going to marry her she's so loud yes. so all of that yeah. and, and you think you're doing it you know out of the goodness of your heart but that's all a cultural you know, it's all deeply rooted in Oshiwambo culture, for example, or African yeah. indigenous practices right. that tell us, no, sit down, sweep like a girl, bend down, exactly. and shrink yourself, you know, uh, be timid, be And reserved. those are aspects of culture in, in different cultures that most women have to overcome. Exactly. I think it's pretty much across the board. It's not just Oshiwambo culture where women's place is kind of... You know, exactly. To keep I think it's, and an, be it's a, it's and, a and universal kind of cultural principle, yeah. almost. Um, and I think with that, really, it's it's you know revisit those parts of culture, review and reevaluate. Um, and and it's 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 not to say that we're disregarding culture. And I think it's that it's that safety and that security of saying, but this is my cultural practice that gives people the the right or the feeling of you know security in in committing acts of sexual violence Absolutely. because you feel you need to discipline your wife and you're validated by something as, as long-standing as culture and something as almost collectively agreed upon as culture. So I think until we, we have the very uncomfortable conversation that there are certain things that we're engaging in, um, like child marriage, that should not be happening, yeah. um, then we, we're, not going to, we're not going to move forward. And there was also a lot of debate recently on, on, on Twitter about Oshie Herrero culture right. in that regard. Exactly. So, so, so there's I, a I lot... Like to add. 
Yes, Sorry, I just like sure, to add as well. Sure. And I think culture can also mean different things, right? And yeah. I think it's, for me, well, it's been beautiful to witness an almost social cultural evaluation of sorts, particularly pertaining to the way women express themselves and the way women um, exist with their bodies and just with their with their existence as women. Um, and that is, it, it came out strongly when, when young people were playing WAP. Uh, yeah, WAP. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, we yeah. were playing WAP um, at the protests. Yeah. Or most recently where Lioness hosted Hovember yes. at uh, Brewer's Market. Yes. Um, so all of these things, I think, speak to some kind of evolution, or at least in a particular group, um, where young women particularly are becoming a lot more expressive. Um, and that's a, a much more explicit confrontation of culture. It makes people a lot more uncomfortable. Um, we have we had slut shame walk. I think that exactly. that deeply influenced or affected or contributed to in some way the social political landscape of perceptions of women's bodies. I so that, that is already a contribution to culture. The other thing is that just to briefly say, I think that's essential, but I think it needs to be explained better to people. Yeah. Because in yeah. a sense, it's happening in this more sophisticated, environment on Twitter and other people out there are not so sure what the heck is the slut shame yeah. walk about mm-hmm. or the men are trash has- hashtag yeah. how do we we really need to do I think more explaining for people to understand but in Dapo Shali let me interrupt you there because I'm getting signs that I think we're running out of time mm-hmm. the conversation is so fascinating so can I quickly keep that thought yeah. and uh, just the last couple of points I want from each of you maybe just to um, particularly for Bertha um, you know, Shut It All Down got a lot of attention, uh, a lot of support, even from outside the borders of Namibia. Um, but following the consultations with the president, things have kind of died down a bit. So I'd like just to hear from you if things have petered out or, or they're going to pop up again. Um, Dapo Shali, perhaps to you, the issue of the very fine line between journalism and activism. Um, as you know, State House Press Secretary recently quoted, tweeted, that journalists should not be activists irrespective so of the cause they so claim to defend. So a little bit on you, uh, from you on those two points. And then finally, from the two of you, both of you, just three issues which you feel, and I think you raised some important um, things that South Africa is doing, for example, Bertha, three things that we can do sort of right now to try and help stem the tide and the violence. And the same from you, if possible, Dabwa Shali. Uh, journalism in itself, Gwen, uh, has an element of activism. The decision to make, to do a certain story in itself. Mm-hmm. Journalism, uh, and, and uh, uh, let me start off by what, uh, because you made reference to what the press secretary, that very unfortunate statement there, or retweet or whatever they buy, or quote, which again, that comment was take out of, were taken out of context because I went back and I listened to what uh, what the, the gentleman actually said, and it was taken totally out of context. You need to understand that what an activist, an activist activism, element of activism, I say this, that journalism in itself has an element of activism. The fact that you decide to seek the truth, because what is it that you're doing? You need to be objective, not to be neutral, because if you're being neutral, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm taking what you're saying, even though I know that it's a lie, I'm taking what you're saying, and I'm taking what you're saying. And that's not, you're not seeking the truth, you're right. trying to be neutral. Exactly. You need to be objective in uh, in seeking the, uh, uh, the truth. And seeking truth in itself, that is activism. Because what are you doing? You're, you, uh, Bertha, is a, she's an activist for GBV. Journalist, you're an activist for seeking the truth. So it's absolutely far-fetched. It's 
absolute hogwash if i have to say that if you're going to want to separate activism from journalism journalism um when the work that you did uh, pre-independence with the namibian and the entire namibian team played a major role the reason why the south africans burned down uh, um uh, or bombed the namibian newspaper is because they knew that you're doing something for the liberation of namibia that is activism so it is very far-fetched to say that a uh, uh, journalism needs to exist Uh, separate from uh, activism, uh, activism. Yeah. it is far fetched. What I want to say is in in, in reference to the the shut or shut it all down movement. I was at the movement. I did not chant once, nor did I ever tweet or anything about shut it all down because I knew that I'm going to cover the story. I'm going to write the story for uh, AFP and Reuters. That is me removing myself from it. Correct. I'm even though you may support the cause, you weren't I, part of it. Yes, I will never say it. it. Exactly. I will never say I'm re- supporting the cause. I've never used the hashtag shut it all down because I need to be objective. And my objectivity cannot be in any way shadowed by. But she tweeted about this, so she's leaning towards that. I cannot do that. And that is why And I'm seeking the truth, which would be the comments from government, the comments from the demonstrators and so on. The biggest mistake that was uh, made uh, a great and again uh, the, the the people who, who who were arrested and they said that they're journalists if we're very, we're being very honest with ourselves they were, they're not practicing they're not journalists because if you uh, there and then you can't be there you're shouting shut it all down chanting and then when you get arrested no you pull out your media card you go there deciding am I wearing the am I going there as a demonstrator or am I wearing my journalism hat Your activism comes in when you use your platform as a reporter to say that this is happening in my country, I'm going to write about this. That is why the element of, you cannot say that journalism needs to exist without the element of journalists. And it's also wrong to say that journalists, the element of, journal, of uh, activism in journalism is propaganda. It's not. No, it's not. It can never be propaganda because the fact that you decide to do that story in the first place. Because I could have decided that day that no, there is a pipeline. You uh, could have pipe, ignored the, the whole yes, demonstration. Yes, a pipe burst somewhere else. Correct. I'm going to cover that story. Correct. But my decision to say that the world needs to hear through my platform where I write to, the world needs to hear about what's happening in Namibia. That is my element of activism in journalism in journalism. The only thing that we need to make sure that we keep ourselves safe from in order to preserve the quality of journalism is to know that when you go there you draw the line. Am I going there as a demonstrator? Am I going there as a journalist covering it? Your activism does not you, your activism does not only start with you chanting or saying I support uh, I fully support the the movement or big ups or high five to that. Your activism is your decision to do the story and in the really first you've place. And really, but avoid a conflict of yes, interest. This very, is very much it comes down to very very much. Yeah. And I want this needs to come out very strongly to each and every journalist, uh, Gwen, that it we need to safeguard. Uh, our duty as journalists so that it's not questioned in making sure that we don't cross the line, we don't, our objectivity is not questioned and that our conflict, uh, our interests are not questioned. If you are very passionately um, involved or you're very passionate about something, then rather not cover it. I did it with the the killings of the the family by by the Botswana uh, Defense Force. I was very vocal about it. I was bombarding the press secretary with his comments about it's pointless to to march. I was very vocal about it, but I did not write to about it once yeah. because I you needed. I was involved in it. 
uh, I did my activism, uh, my activism with, with regards to the shut it all down was my decision. And that's not shut it all down, but that's GBV. Right. The same thing when journalists cover corruption. We can decide to go write about people putting up a Christmas tree, but the fact that you're writing about corruption, your activism is in that you don't want your nation to suffer. So you're seeking the truth, you're seeking the truth, and that seeking the truth is activism in journalism. You cannot say journalism exists without activism, or activism should not exist in journalism. Thanks, Blom. You've put that very well. Last three points from you. What yeah. do you think we can do right now um, to, to try and stem the tide of, uh, of GBV, whether it's through the media or through the media, what will be effective? The media, the role that the media needs to play is uh, be active in teach unlearning in the unlearning process unlearning process in the holding holding government accountable justice system uh, accountable in the process it takes for example it should not be the uh, journalists uh, or media or journalism should uh, make it a point to put it out there it should not be okay that somebody somebody has to go through a rape case for seven, seven years. years no seven years no conviction so it's uh, we need to well, be justice active. delayed is Just, justice denied justice delayed is justice denied right. especially in something like this so it's unlearning we need to be active uh, um, actively involved in the unlearning of uh, like a birth i said the cultural practices like birth i said what things that are okay uh, in the past were okay certain statements Aren't that were made involved. are mm. they not certain statements that were made for example if someone comes and says that my boss continuously touches my thigh, you need to, uh, in the past you would say, yeah, but you are just one case. But now as a journalist, you need to think to yourself that is it worth a story that I need to now actually go and see and interview all other female employees in this company and say, what has that been? And do a story about that or do I just brush it off? That is the process of unlearning. That is the process of saying that that is not okay. So we need to be actively involved in that in the unlearning. We need to be actively in, involved in actually holding government because remember we're the fourth estate. We're holding government ac accountable. And especially in the judiciary legislature part, we need to be actively involved in that. And then also just educating ourselves as the media in how we report on this terminology, new ways of re uh, reporting on this. Do we just wait for the uh, police report to come out and then we and report on that? Or do we actually story, yes, exactly. or do we actually go in and say right. that I'm doing an investigative story on GBV in this community? I'm doing that. So that, I think, from a journalistic part is the three points I think we can do to contribute to um, fighting GBV. Some very good points there. Thanks very much. Bertha, can I turn to you and a little bit about um, where you think Shut It All Down is, is heading and then your three points, three things you think we can right. do. Right. So um, the first thing I think it's important that you ask, you know, it seems like the energy has has died out. Um, and I think that's really the nature of any kind of sporadic, spontaneous yeah. movement where the climax is already at the beginning. So right. really, um, the only way to go is, is down. And from it takes there a spark again to, to exactly. whip it all up again. Exactly. Yep. Especially because it was kind of founded in, yeah. in a spark. I mean, yes, there was the accumulated gradual anger of, of SGBV cases, uh, but it was really the discovery of the human remains. Absolutely. Um, where you know, so I think I think that is is kind of of reflective of or generally symptomatic of any kind of sporadic movement, particularly a movement that is is headed by young people, um, right? Just because of the, the I guess the kind of energy that we generally tend to to exhibit. Yeah. So I think right now with hashtag shut it all down, it's in the kind of tedious administrative work of formal engagements, um, of drawing up budgets, of of you know coming up with with initiatives and and outsourcing.
outsourcing and trying to call everybody and say, okay, what are you doing? Oh no, I, I have school. I'm a full time student. So I think that's really where we're at. Um, is a matter of of self mobilization. But I also think it's important to recognize that because from the get go we're pushing that it's a faceless and or leaderless movement. Right. So you don't want to. Yes, it's, it's orchestrated. In yes, other words, yes, it's 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 that, and also that means that right now there's a space where there's very little coordination because there's a you can't hold a single individual accountable for things not happening. So we could walk up to anybody who was at the protest and say, hey, we're shutting it all down right now. Um, so I think that kind of, of distancing, either for, for protecting yourself individually, whether it's employability or respectability politics, is also kind of, you know, I guess damaging the movement in that way, which is... It's very, um, it's very unfortunate as well. Um, but I think that's also where it's important to recognize that it was never the responsibility of young people to kind of solve SGBV in the country. Certainly. And that's something that, that personally, and I think lots of other young people are you know, maybe speaking under correction can yeah. echo is is the frustration that comes when you know you walk up to I guess a, an official or somebody who's uh, who works with a civil society organization and you say this is what we think or this is us holding you accountable and they say well what have you been doing about it in the past well I was in high school the past three years so, so I don't know that's your job right. um so I think it, that kind of detachment is 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 why the the energy is petering out and I think it's going to take another spark and if I may say you don't have to always take to the streets let's face it in between. Yes. Those occasions is an ongoing campaign. Definitely. Where your young voices should be, you should make them heard, whether it's through a podcast like this or writing an opinion piece in the paper and here the media comes back in again to amplify those voices and keep them going. Exactly. And not just let there be a lull until the next time something really huge um, and traumatic uh, huge happens. and dramatic has happened because it's happening every day women are living with this problem and so are the kids exactly and it's a shame exactly and then i guess the final three things i think one that Pochelli okay. has already echoed it's actively and learning and everybody participating okay. in that mm-hmm. um the second thing i think for me is is, is a, a a much more you know prioritization from leadership um, and, and communication that we're in a crisis and that we're in an emergency. And I think that was really the philosophy, obviously, of Shattered All Down is to say, we, you know, why, why should we care about the economy if we can't be alive to witness the economy prosper? And then the last thing I think that we can all do collectively is understand that we're not fighting each other. Because I think if there's something we've learned from Shattered All Down um, is, you know, instead of, of, you know, kind of helping, we've had people say, well, why are you calling for a state of emergency? It doesn't make any sense. Well, then tell us what does make sense. So I think, you know, understanding that it's not about fighting each other it's not about demonstrating who has the more sophisticated way of solving sgbv we're all confused we're all desperate for a solution we're all desperate to see change so i think once we can just recognize that you know you have people saying yeah you're just talking about gbv you're not talking about like i don't know environmentalism and it's like well use your platform so i think understanding that everybody should use what they have at their disposal to contribute to fighting against sgbv and they were not fighting each other especially not young people um i think that will it will get us much further them much faster when when we stop trying to to kind of of, of compartmentalize assess. yeah it. And, uh, yeah exactly yeah that's what i just wanted to end with by thanking both of you so much for a fascinating discussion we could talk for hours i know but just to finally say this is about human rights about women's rights about children's rights it's not political it's not about taking on government even though you may call for the resignation of a minister or ask the Justice Department to to create a sex offenders register. This is about everyone, and more particularly all women and all children who are touched in any way by this violence that has just become unconscionable. It's really come to a point we can't accept it anymore. So I think it's a fight that everyone needs to join. And as you say, 
not pick on each other at the end of the day, but try and support this and try and work in those communities throughout. I mean, from the most sophisticated, um, richest homes in Ludwigsdorf, it's happening there as much as it is in the villages and townships of, of the north and other parts of the country. So both of you, thank you so much. Thank we you. haven't solved the problem, but yeah. maybe we will, we've got a, a little way along to actually trying to identify some of the key uh, priorities and tasks we need to tackle ahead. Thank, thank you, you Thank you, Thank you. <laughs>